Please come with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 5, where we read this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our message this morning is true humility, or imitating the incarnation. Paul is writing about a most practical subject, and it's about how Christians relate to other people. People in the church, but also in the family and in the community. And to illustrate the point as to how Christians should be living, the Apostle is setting before us the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the supreme example of what it is to live a God-pleasing, humble life. And from his prison cell, he is writing this. He's got a concern about the well-being of others who've got more freedom than he has, and yet they also need to learn, like him, submission to God's providence in their lives. The words he's writing here following this phrase, let this mind be in you, are generally agreed by the biblical scholars to be a hymn of the early church because it's got, in the original language, somewhat of a poetical structure about it. And it appears to be based on the servant song of Isaiah 52. And these verses that Paul is uh, using to show us the example of the Lord Jesus that we should imitate... Um, are really emphasising so much about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's reminding us of his pre-existence, but it's also reminding us of his equality with God, but also his genuine humanity. These are things that we really need to understand and keep in mind at Christmas in particular. It's a very profound Christological portion of Scripture. But although it's profound, remember it's written for working people. You remember at Philippi, there was a converted prison warder. Uh, It's written for soldiers and for housewives and even slaves. And although it's profound, it's something that we can all understand and we can all make application to in our own personal lives. So, in uh, teaching humility, the first thing the Apostle Paul says, to imitate the incarnation, to understand what it means to be truly humble before God, and in our interaction with other people, we need to have the right attitude. Uh, The uh, translation we've read says, let this mind be in you, Or other translations might translate it like your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And I think that brings out the force of the original Greek quite well. If we say today somebody's got an attitude, we usually mean that they've got a a bit of a chip on their shoulder and they may be uncooperative or even aggressive uh, and antagonistic. That's not the way this Greek word is being used in this context. Paul's got a very different attitude in mind here. He's urging Christians to have the same attitude, the same mindset that there was in the Lord Jesus when he came into our world. 
And that is to be humble uh, and to be submissive to God and be more concerned about others than about ourselves. If you look at the advertising at the moment, building up to Christmas, it's all about the good things that we can enjoy and think about ourselves and the uh, oh, lavish food and the entertainment that we can enjoy at Christmas. And uh, the adverts are all about do it yourself, be yourself. That is not what the Apostle is saying for our well-being and it's not what God wants us to have in our lives. Paul's formula is joy. J, Jesus first. O, others second. And Y, yourself last. And nothing cuts so much across the grain of human nature as to be humble before God and treat others better than ourselves. Humility and being right with God begins with a right attitude, a new mindset. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 talks about the, 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 the spirit of the world, the mind is set on the things of the world. The Apostle Paul is calling us to have a different outlook, a different way of thinking in our lives, a right attitude like that of the Lord Jesus. So having established that there needs to be in anyone who knows and loves and pleases God a new attitude to life, a new mindset, Paul goes on to explain what he means by it. He tells us that this is modelled by the Lord Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The first sight that we have in this early church hymn is a reference to the pre-incarnate state of the Lord Jesus. Paul says that before the birth of the Lord Jesus, he was very God. He was, his nature was very God and God's equal. And that means that the Lord Jesus is, possesses all of God's attributes. Is God the creator? So is the Lord Jesus. Is God the truth? So is the Lord Jesus. Is God the way, the life, and the truth? So is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus referred to this when he referred to the glory I had with you before the world began. The Lord Jesus was very aware that in his human life, there was a place that he had been before and uh, his divine nature uh, was something that he maintained while he lived on earth. It is crucial for us to understand when we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ that in leaving heaven he never ceased to be God. He laid aside the glories of heaven. He added our humanity to his deity and all of the time the Lord Jesus was in our world, he was fully God, but also fully man. This is what we must always keep in mind through the Christmas period. God's glory remained in him all of the time. But the Apostle Paul tells us he did not consider equality with God something to be grass. What's he saying there? 
He's saying the Lord Jesus didn't insist on his rights. His concern for the lost world and the mission the Father had given him in coming into the world meant that he didn't cling to his divine prerogatives, but willingly laid aside the glory in taking humanity and human life. He made himself nothing, says the Apostle here. In other words, he left the advantage and the privilege and the freedom of the glory and became truly human in his daily life. And in another place he said, I and the Father are one. And another place, I can do nothing on my own initiative. In other words, uh, he had come into the world for a particular purpose. He'd come in the world, not on his own initiative, but uh, fulfilling the plan of God to bring about the salvation of lost people who are separated from God because of their offence against God, because of their ignorance of God. Uh, and he'd come to be like us, though without sin. And he took the very nature of a servant. Now, of course, God had got servants. Angels are the servants of God, serving him day and night. But the Lord Jesus took the nature of a human servant. When we have been in the, in, in the Middle East recently, uh, there are workers everywhere serving their masters. Perhaps they are reasonably well paid, others we know are not well paid. But being a servant means uh, a life of servitude, a life of acceptance of authority. And the Lord Jesus stepped down from the heavenly throne to serve his Father and to serve uh, his people on earth as one of them. The Apostle moves on to talk about human likeness, the very nature of a servant and being found in human form. You remember the Isaiah said, <clears throat> for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In other words, the Lord Jesus was always God's son, but in, as a child he was born. This is just a concept that is, that is so remarkable. The, the eternal Son of God being rocked on his mother's knee, working in a carpenter's shop, being obedient to his parents, going to the temple and asking questions of the teachers, listening to them and reacting to them, learning a trade, knowing what it was to be hungry and thirsty, knowing what it was to be tired at the end of the day and want to sit down, needing to sleep and have rest, enduring pain and real agony of mind when he was crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ in coming endured all that others endure in this world, its pressures, its longings, its circumstances, the influences that impact upon our lives for good or for bad. The Lord Jesus knew all this. He became man like us. He knows what we feel because he's felt it. And he knows when we suffer because he's suffered as well. He became like us 
in temptation. Hebrews 4 says, He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Matthew 4 summarises the temptations that came to the Lord Jesus at the start of his public ministry. The first temptation was to put his physical needs above spiritual ones. And the Lord Jesus rejected that. The second temptation was to presume on God. But he was not going to put God to the test. And the third temptation was to avoid suffering and find an easy way through life. But he went the way God chose. Our Lord Jesus knows when you are tempted and I are tempted. And he knows uh, the way that he teaches us to withstand the pressures that come to us. The Lord Jesus knew disappointments like we do. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem. He understands how grieved we are by the hardness of human hearts. He knows our problems and uh, can help us through them because he's been man. When people met the Lord Jesus, no one doubted that he was a real man. They didn't immediately fall down and worship him because he was God. They treated him as if he was one last like them. But if they'd known who he was, they would have known him as we know him this morning as God in the flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave us this wonderful pattern of life in all that he did, in all that he said, in all that he endured. He modelled humility in accepting the will of God in his life to be a human being and to go through all that human beings go through. Nobody can say God doesn't understand. God doesn't care. God does care. The Lord Jesus has shown that in every part of his human life. But the Apostle's not going to leave us just thinking about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he endured. He tells us something else. He gives us a third view of the Lord Jesus. And he tells us that imitating the incarnation or true humility means obedience to God. He said, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's amazing that God's Son came into our world in the humility of Bethlehem. It's amazing that he served his father and us as he did in his daily life. But it's almost beyond comprehension that he should even go lower and be treated as a sinner on the cross. His death was not a noble death, but a horrible, ignoble death like a common criminal. The death of the cross. The New Testament makes it a central feature. The Gospels devote so much of their narrative to the final days of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's very much a central theme of the Old Testament. The sacrifices that the Jews uh, performed were just 
prefiguring the need for sacrifice to appease God's wrath against sin and to bring peace to the offender. This all sounds strange to modern ears. But it was very familiar to people in the age of the Lord Jesus. They were very familiar that it required a sacrifice, a substitute, to put a person right with God. They recognised that sin was a serious offence against God. They recognised something had to be done to be reconciled to God. And the Lord Jesus came and in his life he satisfied God's justice, divine justice. He paid the penalty. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the Lord Jesus didn't only satisfy divine justice. The Lord Jesus in all that he did and in particular uh, his work on the cross revealed God's love. God is love. But God also sees things as they are and that means he is just as well as loving. And at the cross we see the greatness of God's love to the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes on in him should, not, uh, sh- sh- should experience uh, eternal life and should pass from death to life. John, John focuses on that in that great verse. Who can measure the love of God in the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his obedience to the Father, to become the Lamb of God, to be laid on the altar of sacrifice in the place of people like us. Who can measure God's love to a lost world like we do? But having told us that imitating the incarnation is having a right attitude, a humble attitude before God and towards others, and having shown us that Imitating the incarnation and and being humble before God is perfectly modelled in the Lord Jesus who left heaven to come to our world, who made himself nothing, who took the nature of a servant and was made in human likeness, enduring all that we do. And then, having told us that the Lord Jesus was perfectly obedient to God and did all that God required of him in his perfect life, the Apostle tells us that his humility was rewarded with the crown. This is how the Apostle puts it. Therefore, therefore because of his redeeming work, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, Paul's fourth reference to the Lord Jesus Christ for us to take to heart in remembering his coming is that after his redeeming work, he was exalted that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now, there's never been a time in in the universe and in the world when everyone has bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He came as a king into the world. He came as God's anointed servant and the saviour of the world. He came as the rightful one that should be obeyed and honoured and worshipped. But who has done that apart from handfuls of us here, there and everywhere around the world in every generation? Generally, there has not been the acknowledgement of the sovereign God working in the incarnate saviour. But Paul is talking about the reward of Jesus' humble work on earth. He's talking about the reward because of his redeeming work. He will be honoured and glorified and all humanity will one day bow to him and confess that he's the Lord. Now, Paul is pointing to the end of history. He's pointing to the end of time when this will happen. But he's also saying to everyone living, do you bow to the Lord Jesus Christ now? Do you worship him for who he truly is and for what he's done? Are you one of those who see that the Lord Jesus is so unique and his mission was to save and to redeem and to forgive? Have you seen that? If you have, you will be bowing to him this morning and you will be worshipping him and praising him and thanking him that he's given you eternal life. And you will be doing that when the Lord Jesus returns and when the end of time comes and the judgment comes. But if you've not done it in your time on earth, sadly you will be those who will have this awful condemnation And you will bow in utter submission as a condemned criminal and offender. The Lord Jesus' earthly work was ultimately rewarded. So how does this impact us today? We've learned somewhat and I've I've raced through somewhat of these great truths about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember what, why Paul told us about these things. How did Paul begin to think about the person uh, and the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he began by saying your attitude should be the same as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that if you're a Christian this morning, your mindset, your thinking, your desire should be like him. Four times in his public ministry, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Chrysostom, the golden-mouthed preacher of the early church, said humility is the foundation of Christianity. Augustine, the greatest theologian before John Calvin, said that humility comes first, second, and third in priority in the Christian life. And we, if we know God, we will be those people who acknowledge that if we have achieved anything, if we are blessed with anything, it's only due to God's goodness, only due to his undeserved grace. Any physical well-being we have, any intellectual well-being we have, any prosperity that we've been able to make in life, any goodness in in us has come from God. We owe it all to him. 
the gifts of God, maybe health and strength that enables us to do things, the grace of God that enables us to be gracious and obedient and humble and caring, has all come from God as well. We are people who are debtors, and we should be so grateful to God for every little thing that we are blessed with. Humility begins with humble gratitude to God and worship. The Lord Jesus also showed wonderful devotion to his Father. The Lord Jesus didn't come to do his own will, but his Father's will. We can be very headstrong people at times. We can be very willful and want our own way. But part of the Christian life is learning to be submissive to God. Learning to submit to his word even when it's difficult to obey. Learning to submit to the circumstances God brings into our lives even when they are painful or even distressing. Pride wants to have its own way. Let me quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a, 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 a remarkable, gifted literary figure, but a Christian and a thinker. And he had a, a, a radio program at one time that had a large audience. This is what he said. Pride has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family since the world began. Pride always means enmity, and not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. He goes on to say this. In God, you come up against one who is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. We know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the greatness and the goodness and the wisdom of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. One who is so superior, one who is so unique, and that should make us humble. Let me give you a quote from a more modern writer, Jim Packer, in his uh, best-selling book, Knowing God. He says, We talk glibly of the Christmas spirit, really meaning more by this than sentimental jollity on a family basis. It ought to mean the reproducing in human lives of the temper of him who for our sakes became poor. The spirit of those who, like their master, live their lives to enrich their fellow men, giving time, trouble, care and concern to do good to others, not just their own friends, in whatever way seems there seems need. End of quote. This is what the incarnation is saying to us this morning. As Lewis says, it, it makes us know God and be humble before God. But it, it, it makes us realise that the Christmas spirit is not just a, a happy family gathering and enjoyment of good things. 
the Christmas spirit is to be caring about others and putting self last, Jesus first, others next, and ourselves last. And finally, this message of the Apostle to us this morning reminds us that humility ends in glory. Only the humble enjoy glory. Peter puts it like this, humble yourselves therefore uh, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The Lord Jesus endured the cross then the crown. Christians go through this life often with difficult humble lives not seeking to do great things for themselves not putting themselves first and then the Lord in his wonderful grace takes us to share his glory but before that we become those who submit to God let's begin another Christmas period with this prayer may the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say may God so help us